Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. I'm going to do part two today of a message on pride and humility. And I preached in the last service the same message and my mum, Pastor Sue, encouraged me and said, great job, darling. I said, any changes for the next service? She said, no, it was great, do it the same. But I find that hard to do. And it's often a challenge when you're happy with the first service because second service, I'm trying to do it the same. Um, But it's a little bit tough. And also I've got added pressure because this is potentially the first message my son is sitting in on as well. So Mike is up the back. I really hope he gets something from this this morning, (laughs) believing for him to open up his heart to God. Um, So today is part two on pride and humility, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time today looking at aspects of our identity. And hopefully it's like Captain America 2 in the sense that it's better than the first, and hopefully it's like Toy Story 2 in the sense that you don't need to have seen the first one, but it does help. And so we're going to hope that that's good. And hopefully it's not like Cars 2 where you just think like, what, it wasn't necessary. Um, But I believe it's going to help you. And so church, why don't we just pray? Why don't we just reach out to the Lord, invite Him to speak to us this morning. So Father, we just thank You so much for our church. We thank You, God, that You've called us into a great church, a great church family, and we just celebrate all that You're doing. And Father, we celebrate the great church family that are contributing so much. And God, we're just excited about the future. We're excited about the present. And Father, we just pray, would You continue to move and do what You wanna do, God. And we just, this morning, right now for this time, Lord, we just invite Your voice to speak to us. Holy Spirit, have Your way in our hearts and our minds. And I just pray, God, for each of us, may we receive what it is that You want us to receive this morning, Lord, and that we'd leave God more hungry for You, Father, desiring after You more, and God, looking hopefully a little bit more like You, God, in Jesus' mighty Name. And the fourth row said, thank You, fourth row. (laughs) Carol, man, that's not your normal spot. You're usually over there. That's thrown me. (laughs) What am I going to do now? No, Carol, you're awesome. Doesn't that show Carol's faithfulness and consistency? I look up and I'm like, what's Carol doing there? That's the <laughs> Sophie Sheedy's in the anointed Carol man spot there today. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> we love and appreciate you, Carol. Well, everybody, this is a part two and part one was four points and it was four biblical truths. And in fact, I think four declarations that are great for us to say, speak over ourselves and our spirit in the area of pride. And they're gonna come up on the screen. This was from part one. We had number one was, I deserve nothing but holy judgment. And I spoke about how a prideful heart always believes it deserves better. A prideful heart always believes it deserves better. Number two was mercifully, I get to try. And I spoke to how on the journey away from pride and toward humility, God mercifully lets us try before He will succeed. Uh, Number three is I don't know, but God does. And that was really about an acceptance that we don't know everything and we don't have all the answers. And lastly, number four was I am but a servant. And that was really speaking to that we are called to be like Christ and Christ came to serve. It says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. A servant of all, the Scripture says. And so this morning, I'm going to add four new ones and we're going to... Uh, 
see out this sort of series. And I'm going to start by reading three passages of Scripture, two from the New Testament, one from the Old Testament, and both the New Testament passages quote Proverbs 3.34. And so we're going to read these together. It's going to come up on the screen. This is James chapter 4, verse 4 to 10. You adulterous people. Good morning. (laughs) Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that He jealously longs for the Spirit He has caused to dwell in us? But He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, here's the quote, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Verse 7, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. 1 Peter 5 is going to come up on the screen. Verse 5, it says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, here comes the quote again, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Lastly, Psalms 138 verse 6, we're going to read the New King James Version. It says, Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. Let me just read that last part. Very scary scripture. The proud he knows from afar. Church, I don't want to be in opposition to God. I don't know about you, but I desperately do not want to be in opposition to God. And I don't want to know God from afar. I want to be able to walk up close with God in a personal relationship with Him. And the Bible tells us in those passages that humility is the key. Humility is the key. And so point number five this morning is, I find my true identity in Christ. I find my true identity in Christ. Now on the spectrum of pride and and humility, there's actually also a, a third sort of group that enters in. We've got pride and ego and the opposite to that could potentially be low self-esteem or low self-value. Now everybody, both of those are identity crises. An inflated ego, an inflated view of self and then a low view of self. They are both identity crises. I don't know if you're familiar with memes I've had some of our older church community ask me if I know any memes, but we're going to have a look at a famous meme. This is the Spider-Man meme. You may be familiar with this. If you're not, I'll just try and explain it as best I can. But what people do is they will put this picture up online and they will title either Spider-Man. And essentially what it is, is it's they're trying to say it's two of the same thing pointing each other out. I saw an example recently which offended me, which was one Spider-Man was Coke Zero and it was pointing at Pepsi Max. And the meme is suggesting they're exactly the same pointing each other out. As a Pepsi Max fan, that was abhorrent. Um, <laughs> but then the other thing people do is, is they might, I saw one recently, it was Instagram threads. 
pointing at Twitter. Same thing, identifying each other. Now, I would make my own Spider-Man meme where one is pride. One is pride and the other is insecurity. The same problem pointing each other out. Because you may find, and I know this from my personal experience, that some of the most proud people are in fact the most insecure people. They are connected because they both are simply an identity crisis. I have wrestled personally with having pride and at the same time have had raging insecurity. And what the Bible, what the Word of God wants to bring to us is to help us have right view of ourselves and right view of ourselves and our place in the world and certainly right view of ourselves in light of God. Everybody, you need to know your place. And you might be thinking, stuff this guy. I need to know my place. That's actually an encouragement. It's not a negative confrontational thing. You need to know your place because it is a great place. It is a good place. And I'm going to explain that place to you. But when I say to you that the Word of God is speaking to us, know your place, you need to know that it is with the intent that you would experience freedom and the fullness of God in your life. So to help us look at this, we're going to look at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And it's going to come up on the screen. Let's have a look at this. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, listen to this, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism, everybody, an incredible moment where we actually see all three persons of the Godhead at once. And my study Bible put it really well. It says, demonstrates the simultaneous existence of all three persons of the Godhead. Very cool. You know, in that moment in Jesus' baptism, we just read, we see the Spirit's desire to glorify Jesus and we see the Father's delight in the Son. And the Father says, this is my Son whom I love. With Him, I am well pleased. Listen, everyone, this is so important. Your true identity, like Jesus, is identified in who you are in relation to God. Bit of a tongue twister. I'm going to go again. Your true identity, like Jesus, is identified in who you are in relation to God. Now, it's a little bit different because Jesus is God. Colossians tells us, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. God the Father, Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit. So it's different for Him. But for us, that means that we should not, cannot and will not find our identity within ourselves. You cannot, you should not and you will not find your identity within ourselves because sadly, we will always misidentify ourselves. And I say sadly because being identified by God will help step you into freedom and joy and peace and purpose and all things beautiful. You know, in culture today, there's a fight where people say, I alone will determine and define who I am. 
It's my identity coming out to you rather than God's way, which is identity being declared over you. It comes from God telling you and showing you who you are. Our identity is determined by God and declared over us. Let's look at the three things that the Father said to Jesus. We'll unpack this a little bit. This is what the Father said. He said, this is my Son whom I love With Him I'm well pleased. So the first one is, this is my Son. In this moment, the Father is affirming who Jesus is in relation to Him. Now, God does this for us through His Word and declares over us who we are in relation to Him. 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. That is who we are. It is not something you've come up with or developed or have told yourself. It is the truth of God declared over you. It says, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Verse 2, dear friends, now we are children of God. There it is again. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. This is my Son, affirms who He is in relation to Him. And God is intending to do, He's trying to do the same for you in identifying who you are in relation to Him. If you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, you are a child of God. The second thing the Father says to Jesus is, This is my Son whom I love. He now affirms the nature of that relationship. He's my son whom I love. It's a loving relationship. You know, for us, the Word of God affirms this for us too. We just read that Scripture then in 1 John, but we know some famous ones. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, a child of God who God loves. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God had love for you pre-conversion. So you have the capacity to be a child of God through salvation, but God loves you. And that's why we're even able to have that opportunity. The third thing the Father said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. God affirms, the Father affirms his joy with how Jesus is doing. Now this is where it gets different for us and Jesus because we have all done things that don't please God. I do things that don't please God. But here's the important thing that you've got to catch. It doesn't affect my sonship or His love for me. So even when I do things that don't please God, it doesn't change the first two statements. I'm still a child of God who He still loves. But today, I'm doing some things that don't please Him. But listen, the security I have in knowing that when I sin and miss the mark, I'm still His child and He still loves me, it brings security to who I am. Now, Bianca and I, my wife, we've got a two-year-old son called Micah, and he is our son, and we absolutely love him. But when he drinks mummy's bubble tea, after I've told him not to twice, I'm not totally pleased. But I'm still totally his dad, and I still totally love him. Even after I've closed it, if I find him sitting in the dishwasher, he is still my, lo- my son, who I love. But I will put the, just a gentle wash on while he's in there. 
But you know, there's a scripture which talks about the gifts that an earthly father would give a child. And then it says, if an earthly father would do that, how much more would your heavenly father give you good gifts? And it it differentiates very quickly that even the best expressions of an earthly father are nothing in light of a godly father. If that's my reaction as an earthly father, now I'm not like a great, I'm not a great father. I'm a learning dad. I'm a young dad. I'm trying my best every day. If that's my response, God's response is infinitely better to you and I when we sin and miss the mark. It doesn't change your sonship or your daughtership. I don't know if that's a word, but awesome. But everybody, your true identity is in who you are in relationship to God. You know, Micah is two and his identity rightly for many, many years is purely gonna be on who he is in relation to Bianca and I. And that's good. It's not on what others think, what others say, what even he thinks. He's told me a couple of times that he's a Nina, which is a Nina, Nina. He's not a fire engine, he's our son. (laughs) And I will tell him his identity. You are a boy, you're gonna be a great man of God. Um, You're you're a little bit of a monkey sometimes. No, I won't won't say it soon, it's not part of his identity. (laughs) You know, sometimes dads, Christian dads will post on social media like a picture of their son and they'll say, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And as cringe as that is, I understand it because what they're doing is is they're seeking to affirm that child's identity in relationship to them. And that is exactly who that child is. And in that season, that's all they need to be and all they need to be aware of as well is that you are my son, I love you and I'm pleased with you. That child will be healthier and more stable knowing that they'll be released, empowered and secure. Similarly for you and I, Our identity must be in who we are in relation to God. Listen, not in what you do. Not in what you do. You are not a plumber. Even if you are a plumber, you may have just filed your tax return and had to put, I'm a plumber. But you are more than your career. You are more than what you do during the week. You are more than your job. It's not in what you have. Don't place your identity in your possessions or in your gifts. Don't place your identity in others' perceptions of you or the words that they speak over you. Don't put your identity in where you've come from. Don't even put it in where you are today. And don't do what young adults do nowadays, which is put your identity in who you're going to be. One day I'm gonna be somebody, I'm doing this. When I cash out my Bitcoin, I'm gonna be. Don't put your identity in who you're going to be. Put your identity in who you are before God. Who are you to God? Now, it's impossible, everybody, to get this right without the right view of God. You cannot get this right without the right view of God. And Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Some people hold a view of a cuddly God. That's just the the smile emoji with long hair. But... The Bible clearly paints a picture of a God who is searingly holy, has no beginning, no end, exists out of time. He's eternal, infinite, a consuming fire. His wrath burns. And I think that we need to think about God like that from time to time. If you only think of Him as this cuddly person, you're missing out on an aspect of who God is. And the Old Testament effectively paints this and the New Testament adds to it adds to our formation and right view of God by having the Son, God the Son in bodily form come and helps us to more better identify who God is. 
The healthiest aspects of your identity, everybody, are because of Him, under Him, and because you're becoming more like Him. The healthiest aspects of your identity, the best aspects are because of Him and because you're under Him and because you're becoming more like Him. Pastor Dave Gilpin, he's a, a great communicator, a very unique guy. And he was saying that everybody should have two different notes in each pocket on any given day. And he said in one pocket, you should have a card that you can pull out and written on it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvellous are your works, O Lord. I know them full well. Your thoughts about me are good and outnumber the sand. And you close that note and you put it in this pocket. And then you open the note in the other pocket. And that note says, Wretched sinner that I am, from dust I came to dust I will return. My life is but a vapour. Who am I to question the thoughts of God? You know, so it sounds like two conflicting ideas, but it absolutely is not. It's the dichotomy of two seemingly opposing truths existing at the same time. Now, on different days, you'll have to have a look at a different note as both are true. But in order to get our right view of ourselves, we need a right view of God, that He is not someone that we just order around to do things, that we should be at the knees under Him in reverence and holy worship to God. A great book that I'm going to recommend. I've actually brought it. I wonder if Duncan can answer me. Just going to speak on this for a minute. My mum read this book to me as a child and it's um, The Wonderful World of Wemix. It's a four-parter. But the first book is called You Are Special. It's written by Max Licardo and I would encourage you to check it out, especially if you've got kids. But it's a powerful story and my mum bought a copy for Micah and so we've been reading this to him from a young age. And I remember even when Michael was born, we would read him books when he was like one week old. He'd just be staring at me like this and I'm just going for it, just reading books, asking him if he's ready to respond, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> but this book's fantastic and we often take it on holidays. It's like a holiday book, like a special one. And this, this story is about a puppet world, bear with me, a puppet world where all the puppets live together and there's a puppet maker called Eli. And the puppets set up this system in their community where if you do something bad, if you fall over, if you make a mistake, if you trip over, something like that, people will put uh, black dots on you for doing something bad. Maybe you stutter over your words or you make a mistake, black dot. And then if you do something good, and even if you have good things, you buy new shoes, you do a front flip and everyone claps, you'd get gold stars. And so all the puppets are living in this community where everybody's covered in black dots and gold stars. And some people are covered in lots of gold stars and they get more gold stars for having gold stars. And some of the, the more, um, the puppets that have been, you know, falling over and all that sort of stuff, they're covered in black dots and people give them more black dots for having black dots. Punchinello's the main character. We've got a picture to come up here. There's Punchinello. He's, he's a legend. And he encounters this character called Lucia. And Lucia rocks Punchinello's world because she's the first puppet he's ever met that has no stars and no dots. And he asks her, how did you become like this? And she said that neither the stars nor the dots stick. And he says, how is that possible? And she says, every day I climb up the hill and I go and see Eli, the puppet maker. We can take the picture down. So Punchinello goes and sees the puppet maker. I hope you're tracking along the analogy here. You're the puppet, Eli's got, cool. <laughs> he goes and sees the puppet maker and there's this awesome bit, the last page of the story is Punchinello has a conversation with Eli. 
And Eli says, it doesn't matter what the other puppets think about you or say about you. What matters is what I think. I made you and you're special to me. And Punchinello's full of questions, but he leaves the workshop after his first visit with Eli and the last picture is one of the black dots just falling off. The sticking power is starting to go. But it's a great picture of not just that puppet world's economy of stars and dots, but is that not like society today? And what I love is that Punchinello and Lucia has gone before and just removed herself completely from that system. And God is wanting to do the same with you, remove you completely from a system where your value and your identity to your own self and to others is found in what you do, say or don't do or what you have. The solution in the story is to go and see the puppet maker and Eli says, you are special to me. If we would position ourselves before God daily, you'll find that the stars and the dots will stop sticking. The challenge is, is that sometimes we want the the dots not to stick, but we'd like to keep the stars. But God wants to remove you from the whole system where your encouragement doesn't need to come from people. It comes from God. And if someone does encourage you, it's the cherry on top of a full cake that God's already got thriving in your life. You are special and only the words of the maker matter. Only the words of your maker matter. We find our true identity in Christ. Let's have a look at Galatians 2 verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I'll just close this point by saying if you are not a Christian here today and you're having self-esteem issues, what I'm about to read is available to you in a relationship with Christ if you would put your faith in Him. If you are a Christian here today and you are having self-esteem issues, I want to speak these biblical truths over you. You are a child of God. You belong to Jesus. You are a new creation in Him. You are a citizen of heaven, of where God is preparing a place for you. You are part of God's family. God sees you. God hears you. You matter to Him. Now, if you're a Christian in the room today and you're having issues with pride, I want to speak these biblical truths over you. You are a child of God. You belong to Jesus. You're a new creation in Him. You're a citizen of heaven of which God is preparing a place for you. You are part of God's family. God sees you. God hears you. You matter to Him. They were both the same. (laughs) Why? Because pride and low self-esteem, they're both the same problem. You have an identity crisis and you'll find your true identity in Christ and Christ alone, and it will remedy much of the pride in your heart or perhaps the insecurity in your heart. Point number six. Whoa, just saw the clock. Number six, it starts in my heart. So number five, I find my true identity in Christ. Number six, it starts in my heart. Proverbs 4.23, one of my favourite scriptures, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And then a bit of an oofed scripture, Proverbs 16, verse 5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, just in case you weren't sure. Um, They will not go unpunished. Everybody, before pride is observed in our behaviour, it rests in our heart. 
before pride's observed in our behaviour, it rests in our heart. And now I'll just preface this next point by saying this is my opinion, but I think that pride and humility, they can't be connected to, to movement, but motive. So it's not about the actions or the behaviours, it's the motive behind those actions and behaviours. Because we can do very good things for a proud reason and now it's corrupted that good behaviour. We can also do things that might seem like bad behaviour, but we've actually done it with humility and a good heart and so it redeems that behaviour. Now throughout Scripture, everybody, a proud heart and a hard heart are almost interchangeable. So not always the same words are used in the original language, but certainly the combo is there. It is a combo within Scripture to speak to a hard and a proud heart in one. And the picture that the Bible paints around this image of a heart is that God is the master potter and He is working on us like a piece of clay in His hands. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a mug that is finished and tried to turn it into a plate. It's very difficult. Some of us are the mug you are the mug that God is trying to turn into a plate, but you're so set and rock hard and immovable that it's very hard for God to do His work. On the issues of the heart, like last message when we talked about Moses being the most humble man ever, we should look to him for inspiration about humility. That's what Moses told us. Um, But on matters of the heart, the Bible tells us that David had a heart after God. So we should look to David. So what do we know about David's heart? We see that in the story where David is anointed to be king, that all his brothers looked better, the exterior was better, stronger, faster, taller, the whole thing. Yet God told the prophet, don't look at the outer appearance for God looks at the heart. David was a man of worship. He wrote worship to God. He spent time worshipping God. He was a man who spent time alone with God. He made the most of his alone time to seek God and to cry out to God. David was a man of deep emotions, which he brought to God. He didn't push down emotions. He didn't hide his anger and his frustration from God. He just, he had a bleh type relationship with God. I want one of those. David didn't seek to make, uh, to seek out opportunities. He didn't seek out opportunities to lead. He didn't go, I'm going to make a splash in this generation. God plucked him out and dropped him in so that that made a splash. And here's something so powerful. David was a repenter. David was a repenter. He had a deep understanding of his own conditions, of his own sin, his own fallenness, his own brokenness. And rather than complain about it or try to redefine what sin or something was, he repented before God. His heart was regularly positioned before God in a place of humility to be ministered to. Are you placing your heart in a position to be ministered to by God? Because the issue of pride starts in your heart. And you might be thinking, well, I don't need to do that. Well, immediately, there's the issue. I don't need to be ministered to by God. There's the issue. That's exactly why you need to be. Well, I don't know if I need to be regularly repenting. Repent of that statement. I don't know if I need to be confessing towards God. Confess that you just made that statement. Allow your deep emotions out to God and deal with them with God. In an awareness of who He is and in an awareness of who you're not. Where does the condition of your heart rank in terms of your effort, focus and value? Perhaps you're working too hard to upskill your exterior and not working enough on your interior. And Pastor Amber really spoke about that on Friday. All right, point number seven. We'll keep this thing moving. Number seven, I need to change. I need to change. Everybody, Christianity, life with Jesus is a process of great change. 
a process of beautiful, godly change. From the moment we respond to the day we go to glory, we're on a journey of great, godly change. You know, when John the Baptist came, it's prophesied that one is going to come to prepare the way for Jesus. You know what message he brought to prepare the way for the Gospel? The message was, repent and be baptised. You must be cleaned inwardly and you must express outwardly your faith in that process and in the person of Jesus Christ. A message of repentance prepared the way for the Gospel. Yet we don't talk about repentance enough. It is, it is critical to the Christian faith. And the word is metanoia, which is such a cool word. If you want to get a tattoo, it could be a good one. <laughs> metanoia. It's, it means a change in thinking, a transformation in thinking, which has ramifications in our behaviour. Change our thinking, change our heart, change our behaviour. Completely changed. John the Baptist brought a message of you must change and pursue Jesus Christ. Where we get a bit confused, everybody, nowadays is that we say things like, God doesn't make mistakes. I am the way that I am and, and I'm keeping it that way because God doesn't make mistakes. That's true. God doesn't make mistakes, but we absolutely do. And you have and you will and I have as well. Things like having an issue with sin, having an issue with external things. And we say, well, that's just the way that I am. God doesn't make mistakes. The best way I can explain this is like in a physical way. For example, I have great godly parents, but I've inherited some great godly things from them. But I also inherit things that they've inherited from their parents, from their parents, from their parents. What is that? It's a perpetual cycle of brokenness where we inherit from the generations before us things emotionally, things perhaps spiritually, things physically. So let's say hypothetically, my mum loves chocolate. And let's say, even, even if it was just during the pregnancy, she ate a lot of chocolate. I know there's physical things that can happen where the baby comes out and they love chocolate. So let's say I come out and I eat tons of chocolate and I put on a bit of weight. You don't have to pretend too much about that one. But anyway, <laughs> I can say with confidence that God has made me this way. The colour of my skin, the colour of my hair, my height, all those things. But I can eat an extra 15 kilos, can't I? But then Pastor Luke comes up to me and I say, Pastor Luke, I just want to work on my weight. I know I can lose some. He goes, hey, God doesn't make mistakes. It's how God made you. And I'm like, yeah, but I just ate three Kit Kats in the green room. <laughs> what happens is everybody, God makes us, designs us, there's an intent, but we need to partner with the work of God. If we step into all God has for us, we will look the way that God intended. But our brokenness, our parents' brokenness, the brokenness in the environment forms us in such a way that we don't look the way God intended. And it, when people say God doesn't make mistakes, it's like, that's true. But there's a whole lot of mistakes going on that have formed me into who I am today. And I desperately need to change. We need to not confuse come as you are for stay as you are. The message of the Gospel is come as you are, but God loves you too much to leave you that way. Imagine going up to a caterpillar and saying, don't change, you're awesome. Stay a caterpillar. He's destined to be a butterfly, but people are saying God doesn't make mistakes. If He wanted you to have wings, you would have been born with them. God wants the caterpillar to go, to a pro go through a process where it can then fly. God wants to take you through a process. You know what that process is called? Painful change. Swallowing your pride and saying, I'm not where I should be. I'm not the way that I should be. I'm not behaving the way I should. 
There's new things I've got to step into. There's old things I've got to say goodbye to. I need to change. You know, we're a part of, sadly, a generation that says you don't need to change, that everything about you is good. Every desire you have is good. That is demonic to say that every desire you have is good because we know that from the inside we're self-seeking. So all the desires I'm naturally gonna have are gonna be self-seeking. So if we have a generation that says, I don't need to change anything, we have a generation that doesn't think they need to repent. And so we have a giant sin issue. We have a massive identity crisis happening. We have a massive pride issue happening in the culture. And what it is, is it's no humility, so no need for change. And we've got a whole bunch of people who God's called to be butterflies and they're celebrating the fact they're a caterpillar. 1 John 1 verse 8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. You know, we see two great stories in the Bible where Jesus validated people in terms of validating who they were, His love for them, but did not validate the sin that they were living in. The first one's the man at the pool. This man needs a des- uh, is desperate for a miracle in his body. And Jesus does that miracle, his body's healed. And then Jesus says to the man, hey, go and stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen. So that Scripture teaches us sin's gonna create death around you. And that's what the Bible tells us. But then He also says, go and make some changes. Stop sinning. There's things you're doing that you need to stop doing. Stop it. But what we do sometimes is like, hey, awesome. Just God loves you. But God loves you so much. He wants you to get out of the things that are creating calamity in your life. Same with the the woman who's caught in adultery. And I think many of us are still wondering why wasn't the guy held to account as well? The poor lady. Can't be caught in adultery by yourself, right? So maybe you can. I don't know. Anyway. But I love it. Jesus validates her. He gets down with her, lifts her up, speaks to her, shows love, grace, compassion. Then what does He say? Hey, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. That's a call to change. That's a call to change in your behaviour, a call to change in your thinking. We've got to be careful not to confuse validating someone's value with validating their life choices. You've got to separate the two. We're all called to change and called to a higher way, a more God-honouring way. Pastor John Tyson in a podcast that I really liked, he said, just because you agree with God's Word doesn't mean you're being transformed by it. And I think that I took from that, that, you know, humility turns agreement, simply agreeing with the Word of God into action. Because you approach the Word with God, what do I need to do with this today? By faith, I'm trying to live it because I need to and I need the change. You know, we talk about this in church a lot. Don't be deceived by simply hearing the Word and not doing what it says. It's like all the Milo on top of the drink. You've got to stir it in. We stir it in through application. All right, last point, number eight, as we get ready to close. I desperately need God. I desperately need God. Psalms 10 verse 4 says, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. Listen to this. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Everyone, it's very difficult for a proud heart to come to faith in Christ. God has salvation available to everybody, but some won't receive it because they cannot get over their pride. 
There's a great purpose that God has for their life, but they may not step into it because they cannot get over their pride. What do I mean by that? Pride says, I can. Pride says, my way is the right way. Pride says, I deserve this. I don't need anyone. I can figure this out myself. Don't tell me what to do. I'm better than that. Why it's such a big hurdle to receive salvation is because pride doesn't admit that you even need saving. And then even if you do, pride says, I can save myself through means of my own. When we know that the Bible teaches salvation comes at the acknowledgement of my sin and of the part that I cannot play in my own salvation. Today, there's a very strange thing in culture where people will accept Christianity as long as it's not the real one. They're like quite happy for people to be Christians, but at the minute that it's a Bible-based Christian, they've got an issue with it. But if you've got this other expression that's not the real one, it's fine. And this is the expression I'm talking about, where my faith is personal. It's unique to me. I have unique views, unique beliefs. The way I see God, the way I connect with God, well, God to me is this. Jesus is all about just love. That's just my view on it. And it's private. So it's personal, it's private. I've got unique views and I don't wanna, it's not, I don't want to share them with you. I don't want to have to, you know, example that or people to see that I'm a believer. And it's also that Christianity that says the Bible's outdated. It was good for people back then. But today, you know, God's given me new revelations, given me new understanding. People are okay with that expression of Christianity. And you'll see it in the media, you'll see it in culture. Someone goes, oh, I'm a Christian. People are like, what kind of Christian is that? Oh, it's one where it's this, this, and that. Oh, that's fine. And it's because that expression of it is a celebration of self. Whereas our expression of it is a denial of self, which is very challenging to people that don't wanna do that. And the, the bad expression of it is one that doesn't challenge oneself. And I, I saw an interview recently where this exact conversation was happening and someone said, I love what you have done to find meaning and to find God. And essentially what they're saying is, I love what you've done to connect with God. Whereas the message of the Bible is, look what Christ has done to connect you with God. And, and in a way, in the interview, the person's saying, I love how you connect with God, your expression of faith and how it has no implication on me. <laughs> you know, true Christianity rejects all of that because the law says, the Old Testament law says, look what needs to be done for sinners to be close to God. And listen, everybody, it must be done. Christ didn't abolish the law. In a lot of ways, He built upon it and then He fulfilled it. The law says, look what needs to be done and Christ has done it. The law says, look what needs to be done and Christ says, it is finished. It's finished by me, it's finished in me, it's finished for you. And the message is this standard must be met where the other fake Christianity is like, throw the standard out, it's all good, it's all great. Christ says, I've fulfilled the standard because you cannot. So receive from me, look to me, put your dependence on me. You need me and I love you. Pride is a progression of self-celebration. Humility is a progression of dependence on God, where every day we say, God, I desperately need You. In my thoughts, I desperately need You. In my daily devotion to my family, to my friends, I desperately need You. God, every day, I desperately, desperately need You. 
I don't think you could make that statement out loud and it not affect the pride in your heart in some way. I think someone just this week needs to get to Burns Beach, look up to heaven and just say, God, I desperately need you. I think it'll do something in your heart. So some truths, some declarations to help us with pride and humility as we close. The first four points, and and maybe these are things that you do wanna uh, yell at Burns Beach. (laughs) I don't know, it's up to you. Might see you down there. Let's have a look at the first four. Some biblical truths, some declarations. I deserve nothing but holy judgment. Mercifully, I get to try. I don't know, but God does. I am but a servant. Number five, I find my true identity in Christ. It starts in my heart. I need to change and I desperately, desperately need God. Everybody, if you would just get these in your spirit, declare them out of your mouth. I just believe God can do a great work in you to help remedy some of the pride that is trying to rise up within us. You know, it says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I wanna receive God's grace. I don't wanna be in opposition to God. And I don't wanna know God from afar. I wanna know Him up close. Everyone, humility is the key. Humility is the key. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.